Garbage into Gold, a Sixers podcast, is part of Philadelphia Sports Nation. They are enhancing your Philadelphia sports fan experience. Visit online at phlsportsnation.com and follow the Sixers branch of Philadelphia Sports Nation at PHL Sixers Nation on Twitter. You can also find Garbage into Gold on Twitter at Garbage into Gold. Father's Day is coming and the weather is catching heat. Whether you have a dad bod or a rocking six pack, make sure you and your dad are smelling nice and shaved where it matters most. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 and the Refined Cologne by Manscaped. The brand new Lawnmower 4.0 and Refined Cologne is perfect for you and the dad in your life to complete your grooming game. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PHL at manscaped.com. After you guys have clean balls with the brand new Lawnmower 4.0, clean up your cologne game with the Refined Cologne from Manscaped. With the same signature scent that is in all Manscaped formulas, this cologne is a perfect complement to the collection. Light, approachable, and gentlemanly in all the right ways. If the old man is smelling a little funky, this cologne is a surefire way to change that and make him the talk of the summer. Man of the house deserves to smell like a king. Whether it's a gift for you, your dad, or the men in your life, choose Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PHL. Don't forget that you came from your dad's balls. This year, show your original home some love with Manscaped. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Garbage Into Gold. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Apter, joined by my co-host, Jesse Larch. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, about to head down and watch the Phillies play this afternoon, get my vaccine taken care of, and then probably get some bad food tomorrow night, and hopefully the Sixers can repeat what they did in game two. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I, th- I think we're going to focus the most on game two. We'll touch on game one. But I guess right before we jump into that, the last couple of days, uh, some of the NBA awards. Uh, um, never really knew about Ben Simmons, but he ends up uh, coming in second place to Rudy Gobert. Matisse Thybul, uh got a vote for fourth place, I believe. Um, and Ben Simmons also got a fourth place MVP vote, which was something. So um, I, I think uh, even though I'm disappointed that they didn't finish first neither of them did uh i think Embiid's season has been so good and you know playing the way that he is on a torn meniscus you know mvp would be cool but uh it's just really a pleasure to see him play this way and um you know for ben i didn't honestly expect it to happen um but seeing that we have second place you know runners up for two of the biggest awards in the nba i feel pretty good about where where the franchise is right now yeah, I mean, I still feel like Ben Simmons got completely robbed. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, Rudy Gobert, I think, is kind of getting it on reputation now, like how some guys get all-star games year after year, which you could even say Ben Simmons is one of those guys who gets an all-star game just on reputation at this point. But 
I feel like that's why Rudy Gobert won this award, just because nobody really watched and just said, oh, he's won two. Let's just give him another one. Yeah. But I, I think I don't think there's anyone that's a more impactful defender or a more versatile defender than Ben Simmons is. Yeah, and I think we saw that in game two. I, I mean, I agree with you. We, I think we talked about it when, uh, when they came out as finalists, but uh, uh, Ben's ability to guard one through five, especially the job that he did on a much shorter, quicker um, point guard like Trey Young, I mean, you can see just how uh, versatile he is and how much he, he, uh, he works on, on the defensive side of things. So uh, a little disappointing that they finished short, but uh, you know, very, very awesome to have two players uh, up there in these sorts of votings after so many years of not having any of that, uh, you know, since Allen Iverson. So um, before we get into the good of game two, um, when we touch on game one just shortly, obviously a disappointing showing after they had some time off um some time off uh they just looked pretty unprepared doc rivers came out with danny green on trey young danny had done pretty well um on trey uh in matchups during the season but it did not work and doc didn't really adjust at all during the game uh so i guess what were your uh, were you surprised when you saw danny green on trey young to start the series yeah, it was. And, I mean, I, I can't say that I hated it at first because I respect the idea of, all right, if Danny Green can check Trey Young, then you still have Ben Simmons to put about the floor, which that would have been like a trump card. If you can get away with stopping Trey Young with just Danny Green, suddenly you have that much more versatility and flexibility on the defensive end of the floor. That clearly didn't work, though, and I feel like Doc took too long to switch from that. It was pretty apparent very early on Danny Green wasn't going to be the guy to handle Trey Young. And I, I think waiting till halftime was probably the biggest mistake in that game. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, Simmons was uh, picked up his third foul pretty early um, into, like, into guarding Trey. He was getting called for some cheap fouls uh, when, when he got switched on them. But, um, you know, having, having watched some of the Hawks-Knicks series, um, I think that uh, – it's like they didn't even watch any of the film because they weren't hedging on pick and rolls like they ended up doing in game two. Um, you know, they weren't being aggressive on Trey. They were letting him get those uh, open lanes to uh, open lanes to the net. And, you know, he's, he's pretty dangerous with that floater. So I agree with you. I, I wasn't surprised to see him. I just figured that they'd put Danny on him so Matisse and, and Ben didn't get into any early foul trouble. Um, but, uh, yeah, too late to adjust um, because you saw what the last five minutes of and, and really it showed what, what could have been easily be up to nothing in the series if they just would have put Ben on Trey to start. So I was a little surprised after. I was a little surprised when, when I saw that just because, you know, it's your defensive player of the year. He guards one through five. So I don't know automatic guy that is just – and Trey Young so um, I don't I don't think it helped that the Atlanta Hawks were shooting 120% from the field um, obviously they didn't do the same thing in, in game two but it didn't help that the the Sixers were missing a lot of wide open shots uh, Tobias missed a lot of wide open shots Danny Green has not had a great uh, series um, and again it, it didn't that, that every single guy on the um, on the Hawks was hitting 
open shots and contested shots. Trey was dangerous. They were working in the pick and roll. Um, Kevin Herter's been good. Gallinari's been good. Uh, and everything was just kind of going for them in, uh, in the first game. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on the original rotations uh, from game one? I mean, I, my thing with the rotations is they're just a little too deep. I would like to see like an eight or nine man rotation. And I don't think we're going to. Um, I mean, and in game two, having the deep rotation actually kind of saved them. But it, it's just, yeah, it's when that when that bench lineup hits, it, that's when the game I feel like really got out of hand. Like, there's a lot of things we can talk about. We can talk about Danny Green defending Trey, how hot the Hawks were shooting, and one of the biggest things was when that all bench lineup hit the floor. That's when the Hawks opened up the lead that ultimately the Sixers couldn't overcome. The seventeen um, nothing run, yeah. Yeah, and that's I think that's the key point of that game more so than even Danny Green uh, on Trey Young, because that that was the insurmountable part of the game. Where as hard as they tried, as good as the starters played, they just couldn't overcome that gap. And I, in game two, you know, we saw Doc kind of correct that a little bit, but that was uh, that was another one of the big mistakes Doc made. It wasn't it wasn't one of Doc's best games in game one. Yeah. Yeah, I think he he was he was out coached. That was really the the only way to go with it. Um, and uh, I, I I thought uh, I thought rotation wise, it was nice to see him not be afraid to go right back to Tyrese Maxey after Maxey uh, performed well in the series against the Wizards. Um, but you know that changed for game two. And why don't we on to game two because uh, you know I want the the negativity of game one to take up too much of this. Um, so we start game two, Ben Simmons after game one said, uh, I should be the guy guarding Trey young. And he was the guy guarding Trey young from the start. Trey young fared two for six on Ben Simmons. He went one for seven from three overall combined against, um, the Sixers defenders. So, uh, I mean, I think Ben could not have done a better job on Trey Young. You saw Doc made some really good adjustments to hedge on pick and rolls and uh, not being afraid to double team. I think the rotations were better uh, defensively, so there weren't guys uh, wide open for three. Um, And really, even though the Hawks climbed to within two at halftime, I thought it was... I thought it was. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't really worried that the Sixers were going to lose this just because of how they looked in the first twelve minutes. So, um, yeah, I thought. I thought Ben on Trey was so good, and and that's definitely something that we should see uh, as as a trend moving forward in games three, four, and five. You you, you just can't go away from that. It, it worked too well. Yeah, and I think what the difference is is when you put. I mean, and D- Danny Green and Matisse Leibel, they're both longer defenders. than, And, I mean, Trey's undersized in every scenario. But Trey's kind of used to having a bigger man guarding him just because of how small he is. And I think where they got caught was they didn't have the ability to suffocate him. They were able to keep him in front of him, but he's able to use that to his advantage. We saw it on those foul calls on Matisse that we're still not sure were really fouls. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and the same thing happened to Danny where – you know, it just wasn't wasn't quite big enough. But having Ben, who's able to basically just blanket Trey Young, and not only keep Trey Young in front of him, but keep Trey Young from going around him. You know, like Ben gets on him, he puts his arms up, and it's like Trey Young is stuck in a corner. You know, and that that's the difference between 
uh, Danny Green and Matisse Thibel, who are both still really good defenders. Matisse, obviously, I, I think Matisse should be first team all defense this year. Mm-hmm. But you just can't replace the length that Ben has with his athleticism. You know, he can he can move like a guard, but he has the length of a big, and it's just something Trey Young can't handle. Really, no, we've seen it. No player can really handle it. Uh, yeah, I was I was gonna say after the Knicks series uh, with the Hawks. I was curious to know, like the main, like the wingspans of the guys that were guarding Young, uh, and they were two, three inches shorter uh, than Thibel and uh, three, four inches shorter than Ben Simmons. So the length is obviously a big thing. Uh, you could probably have an entire podcast on how Ben Simmons kind of put on a defensive clinic. Uh, I mean, the three pointer that he blocked. Yeah. Um was was insane. Uh Thibel had a block of one of his floaters. Um but uh again, we could do a whole podcast on on Ben's Ben's defense. It was it was really really good. Um and uh I mean Matisse he he's been playing right. Like I I don't know if you've seen this too. Um but I've noticed that he's back to biting on pump fakes a lot. I'm not like super concerned about that, but it seems like every time that he was going to, um, you know, try and recover to Herder in the corner or Solomon Hill in the corner, um, they kind of went up with the pump fake, knowing that Matisse is going to try and block it uh, and then give themselves a wide open look. So I think Matisse has been okay, but I'd like to see uh, a little bit more from him when it comes to, um, you know, uh, recovery time recovery when it comes to biting on pump fakes yeah no he's a very twitchy defender and i think that works for him a lot of the time but on guys like trey young that are going to do savvy things like that it's the same reason like i think we just discussed how we would guard the nets or i think i discussed on the one pot i did during your wedding um but i don't know if i'd put matisse on like a james harden because harden relies on that to draw his fouls you know, and I think that's the one thing with Matisse's defense. He's he's a very aggressive, very fluid defender, but he's very reactionary, and that's the only thing that gets him in trouble. And I mean, Trey Young's used that a few times, but as you said, I think he's defended Trey pretty well too. He hasn't let Trey get any easy buckets. Where with Danny right. Green, Trey was finding a way right to the hoop, and you know, I, I think Matisse would be my second option on Trey right now, but. Yeah, Trey, obviously Trey's able to get some points even with Matisse covering him. He's just he's on a different level right now. Before we talk about the rotations, I mean, there's only so many things that you can say about Joel Embiid, 40 points, playoff career high, uh, playing on a torn meniscus. Uh, I thought he was phenomenal. His defense was good. There's one moment where I was very scared yeah. uh, where he – and pushing Gallinari no. after Gallinari made some contact with him after they were – uh, fighting for a position in the post, um, and a lot of people thought that Embiid might be ejected, so I think that he just needs to realize that he can't afford to get himself ejected for stupid things like that. Because if he's ejected at that point, I mean, we could be looking at a 2-0 series deficit. I think that was just like a small blip in what was a really, really great Embiid game. Um, I don't really know why he was still in there when they were up 20 in the fourth quarter. Yeah, um, that was so baffling. But uh, I think overall, I mean, he's been great. Uh, he doesn't look slowed by anything. And I, th- I think we've been blinded a little bit by Sixers medical staff uh, stuff in the past. But I feel like with the new staff they have in there, I, f- I feel a little more trustworthy of, of what they're doing. And I think if he's out there, 
uh, I'm sure his tear could get a little worse, but, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm putting my, my faith in the, the experts and hoping that they're doing the right treatment and everything to the point where he's going to be good to go for, for the rest of the series. Yeah. I, I was like, at first when I was watching, I think I was texting you, texting someone else, like no idea why any of the starters were out there for the last half of that fourth quarter, especially knowing that Joel is playing with a partially torn meniscus. Yeah. Like, I think that, uh, that was just a horrible decision from doc. I think the only reason since the Hawks still had their starters out there, he probably left his guys, his main guys out there. So they didn't have to come back in, um, you know, with a minute and a half, the Hawks had cut the lead to six or seven. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's the only reason I'd think of why he did that. I, I didn't love it anyway, but, um, but yeah, um, I think uh, rotation wise, we saw some uh, adjustments from doc uh, in game two. Tyrese Maxey got some run, but he wasn't re- really effective. So uh, second half, we, we got to see uh, Shake Milton after he only played one minute in the uh, first game. Uh, we got to see what uh, Shake pretty much was pre-pandemic um, in game two. You know, it's a, a three while he's falling to the ground and then hits a buzzer beater three uh, and hits a couple more fourth quarter to really uh, have that momentum going from the third to the fourth quarter. Um, and I think now you mentioned it earlier about how you see the rotation shrink. I do too, but I think what Doc is beginning to learn is that he's going to need to start riding the hot hand. Like if Shake or Maxi isn't getting any sort of flow or any sort of um, consistency going with their offense or they're making too many defensive mistakes – uh, I think the leash is a little bit shorter for those guys uh, over veterans like George Hill and, and uh, others. But um, I mean, Shake Milton certainly didn't see that coming. But I mean, without that, again, we could have been uh, looking at a two nothing series deficit at this point. Yeah, he was the unlikely hero, but he did look like the Shake Milton from the start of the year. And I mean, if we know he's a streaky player, hopefully he gets hot for them at the right time. And that wasn't like a one-off for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder how, I wonder how Doc's going to handle the rotation for next game. If Maxi falls out, you know, to try to keep shake warm or if they both get burned, like I really don't know how he's going to handle that. I, th- I think he just rolls with shake till shake shows that he, uh, that he reverts back to what he has, has been for the majority of the last few months. Um, but I think, the rotations in, in game two kind of led me to believe that, um, you know, Doc's going to be a little quick, quicker with, with the leash, uh, quicker to pull guys. Um, but in addition to Shake, I, I wanted to mention, I think uh, it was very nice to get some uh, solid Dwight Howard minutes too because Embiid played 30, 38 minutes. He played the entire third quarter of, the, of game two. And, and Dwight Howard in game one was, was pretty much unplayable. So it was nice to see Dwight Howard, um, you know, have a game where he's more effective, caught a nice alley-oop from Shake. So I think that's a big thing, too, is that if you're not going to – you can't really run small ball five against Clint Capella because of uh, the, the pick and rolls there. But I think uh, getting, getting solid eight to ten minutes from Dwight Howard is, is going to be really, really important moving forward, especially with Embiid, uh, Embiid's knee ailing. Yeah, I thought – I haven't been really upset with Dwight's play. I think he's given you what he always gives you. So, 
you know, it's you just don't want the white to have to play more than those 20 minutes because that's when things can get bad. Um, there's no way to replace Embiid. So I think we're all kind of holding our breath every time he like lands from a dunk or hits the deck. It's like, yeah, we we always hold our breath. But we're really holding our breath right now. It's like I'm yeah. I'm watching him every step of the game to make sure he gets up and doesn't limp. And yeah. he's so he's so goddamn dramatic with it too that it's just like, you know, every time he falls, I think he just ripped his knee apart. Yeah, I mean, uh, I feel you on that. I feel you on that. I think uh, every every single Philadelphia 76ers fan can can sympathize with us and that we we would like him to to not do that. Uh, th- you know, jumping after loose ball, you know, doing the crit. Like I don't even need him to dunk, do a finger roll, and everything like that. But like he said after game one, he's not going to. Uh, he's not stop being who he is just because he's hurt. You know, he wants to win a championship, and he's going to put his body on the line in order to do so. Uh, and you know, Dwight Howard has been playing, uh, he played eight, eight minutes in the first game. He played a little bit more in the second game, but you know, I think it's exactly what you said, you know, in, in the first 15. So you kind of get what you can with Dwight and it wasn't good in game one, uh, which is why you didn't see him play that often in, in game one, but in game two, you saw him do a little bit more, which was nice. So again, you know, if you can get 10 to 12 minutes of, of Dwight Howard playing even or getting positive Dwight Howard minutes is huge. And if, you, if you're able to break even those Trey Young not on the floor minutes, that's also huge. But, you know, any, any minutes without Joel Embiid on the floor are just going to be emotionally negative anyway. So getting, getting more out of Dwight Howard in, in that game too was, was huge. Uh, and hopefully we see that uh, moving forward a little bit more. Any anything else uh, that you can think of from game two? The only thing I, I have would like I, I've been very 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 underwhelmed by George Hill. Uh, has has not really done much of anything on either end. Been a little too quiet for for my tastes. Um, he has I think- been. I I do agree that. He hasn't been the most impressive, but I don't think he's someone you take out just because of his veteran experience. But they do need to start getting more from him. Um, You know, he's a better defender than Maxi or Shake. His shooting hasn't come up yet, but he's supposed to be a better shooter than he's shown so far. Um, You know, I don't know that. I think part of the issue for him is just that he didn't get to start playing until the last week or so of the season. So I think he's still building some chemistry and kind of getting comfortable with the guys on the floor. Um, but just just to have the veteran ball handler, I, I wouldn't take him out of the lineup yet. I'd, I'd still let him try to prove himself a little bit, <laughs> at least in this series. If you get to Brooklyn and he's still playing like he is right now, you might have to drop him for Shaker to Maxi. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd just like to see him uh, let it fly a little bit more. Seems like he's being uh, very passive, and I think we have enough enough guys that are passive to where we need guys to kind of shoot. Yeah, and I thought Seth Curry had a very, very, very good first half. It was five for five for three at uh, from three at some point. I think Tobias offensively was solid. Um, and again, Danny had a rough game uh, offensively. Hopefully, they can find him in the corner and he can start finding his his rhythm from from there again. But I think uh, it was nice to see them getting Seth Curry involved early because he was. He was he was really really shooting well. Didn't do a whole lot in the second half, but uh, he's going to be key for them uh, moving forward to games three and four. And uh, now the game the series shifts to Atlanta. 
I guess uh, in seeing what we've seen over the first two games, uh, what's your confidence level? Do you think they win both, split, lose both in Atlanta? Uh, what are your What are your thoughts here moving forward? I want to say they'll split, which isn't what I'd want to happen, but it just feels like what's going to happen. I feel like the Hawks showed in Game Two that even though the Sixers came out and you know put a hurting on them in the first quarter, that they're still ready to go toe to toe with the Sixers. Um, I do believe the Sixers are the better team still, and I'm not worried about for the series as a whole. But, yeah, I don't think the Hawks are going to go quietly and get it on their home court. It might give them a little bit of life, and that could present a problem for the Sixers. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to go with you on that one, too. I think you, you definitely have to win one in Atlanta. I think they could win two after those adjustments that they made in the second. Um, but, obviously, they, they need to be able to keep the pedal on the metal uh, in a lot of ways. So I, I would keep the adjustments that worked in game two. Obviously, Atlanta's going to try and figure out to adjust as well. But yeah, I think they go in there and split. You know, that'll bring home court advantage back to uh, Philadelphia, where game five and potentially game seven will be. Are you still kind of sticky, sticking by Sixers, Sixers and six in this? Is that what we're going with? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a series that could go seven. I think the next game in the series, game three in Atlanta on Friday night, is going to be what sways me one way or the other, whether I think it's going to go six or seven. The Sixers come out shooting and they win on the road the first game there. I feel like they might be able to finish out five, maybe. Well, let's we'll see. see. That's the other thing is the Sixers haven't gotten hot from the floor yet. Yeah. And I feel like when that happens, it's just going to be an open and shut series. Yeah, kind of game over. Which is kind of what happened in game one against the Wizards, too. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, they just didn't come out ready to shoot. And once they did, it was they just ran away with the series. So I think this will be a similar scenario. I think Atlanta's better. They're a little tougher than Washington. But, yeah, I think – it's just a matter of, you know, once once the shots start falling from deep, then it's going to be a totally different series. Yep. No, I agree with you completely. All right. Uh, so that'll wrap up this episode of Garbage Into Gold. We apologize for some in and out audio. Jesse and I are dealing with some different recording circumstances. Uh, so we appreciate everybody tuning in. And uh, we'll probably talk to you at some point after game four. Take care, everybody.